0: What's really good? Welcome back to another episode of The Sanchez Show, sports podcast influenced by hip-hop. I'm your host, Eric Sanchez, a.k.a. Legend Into Games. Make sure you follow me across all social media platforms. Again, it is Legend in Two Games, completely spelled out, L-E-G-E-N-D-I-N-T-W-O-G-A-M-E-S. Also subscribe to the podcast, streaming on all major platforms. Shoot me a like, shoot me a comment. And as I always say, I open up the platform to anybody who wants a good sports debate. So if you have a topic you want to hear me get into, or if you have a question that you want to submit to the show, feel free to submit it. I will address it and answer it on the show. With that being said, let's get into it, man. The NBA restart has officially begun. This is the rapid reaction to the two games we saw today as the Pelicans and the Utah Jazz kicked off, and then we got an instant classic from the Lakers and Clippers. Ultimately, we actually got two really good games that came down to the final shot, which we're going to dissect those. Uh, but before we do, I want to definitely get into a, a quick baseball topic. I try to limit some of the baseball talk because I know it gets a little drawn out, but we're almost a full week into their restart. And, you know, concerned with a couple of things. I've posted it recently on my social media feeds. Obviously, the Miami Marlins dealing with all their cases of, of COVID um, players who have tested positive. We now know the Philadelphia Phillies also have, I believe, two coaches currently on their staff who tested positive. Um, Major League Baseball might be in a really bad place at this point. Uh, They've had to postpone and rearrange some games already. Again, we're only a week in. Uh, The Miami Marlins have not played pretty much since Monday, and they have already canceled all their games through the rest of this week. Um, The Yankees had to kind of Rework their schedule a little bit. The Phillies now are reworking their schedule. So it's a, it's a bad place for Major League Baseball. They're trying their best to keep everything entertaining um, with their new extra, extra inning uh, rule. They're also implementing a new rule on doubleheaders for these makeup games. They won't be playing a full nine innings. It'll be seven innings. So they're trying to do things to accommodate the players and make sure these games get played. But I just think this is the beginning uh, of... A very bad set of circumstances for Major League Baseball. Again, only a weekend, and we've already seen several postponements and reschedules and cancellations of games. Um, I mean, obviously, highlighted with the fact that the Miami Marlins have about 18 players and coaches uh, in a combination of some sort. They haven't released official names, so we don't know how many are coaches, how many are players, but a total of 18 cases. That have tested positive, um, which is not a good thing. We knew we were going to have this this issue. I've said it all along. I thought NBA uh, had the perfect opportunity to really work through this pandemic because they were able to put the 22 teams that were still in contention in a bubble and secure that bubble. We've seen it so far, despite the Lou Will situation, of course, and you know a couple of players who had to report late to the bubble. Ultimately, the NBA has done it the right way. They haven't had any positive cases since July 20th, and obviously their restart was today. Uh, But Major League Baseball, the NFL, they're going to have to figure out how they expect players to travel across the country and play games and be around hundreds of other and thousands of other people without contracting the virus. So we got to keep an eye on that. But the main MLB story I wanted to get into is – relief pitcher Joe Kelly of the Los Angeles Dodgers, if you haven't seen it already. It kind of causes a little dust-up in a recent game with the Houston Astros as he hit one batter. Um, he came close to hitting another batter, and then words were exchanged. I want to say this, and, and again, just to give you some, some insight on what's going on, he was suspended eight games. The, the suspension came down officially. He is appealing that right now. So he should be able to continue pitching until they – give him his appeal process. But for those that may not remember or those that aren't too familiar with the situation with the Houston Astros, the Houston Astros were found to have been cheating uh, the last few seasons. They they came up with a system that would allow them to use technology in a way to let their hitters know what pitch was coming. Um, it was confirmed. They did it at some point during the 2017 season, which they won the world series along with the 2018 season they claim they did not use it last year during the 2019 season, even though they did get back to the World Series. Um, there's been a, a mixed reviews from a lot of people. Um, some people felt the penalty should have been harsher on the players. Ultimately, their manager, their general manager, uh, one of their two of their former coaches who went on to manage other teams in Carlos Beltran and uh, Joey Cora both lost their jobs. Oh, Alex Cora, sorry, lost his job with the Red Sox. Carlos Beltran originally was gonna be the Mets manager and he lost his job when the scandal kind of broke. The players were never punished for the cheating scandal. And ultimately, uh, Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, kind of um, granted them immunity as long as they participated in the investigation. And so he felt that the players were telling the truth and what they knew and how much they participated. And ultimately, as I mentioned, several coaches and general managers lost their job and front office types lost their job but players were not suspended now with that being said joe kelly who is at the heart of this dust up that took place the other day again he hits alex bergman uh he comes close to hitting carlos correa before he ultimately strikes him out to end the inning and then they exchange words and bullpen i mean uh dugouts clear he gets suspended eight games now the immediate thought not only for myself, but I've been seeing players around the league tweet this as well, is so a pitcher who came close to hitting two batters, he hit one for sure, he came close, hit another batter, can get an eight-game suspension. But the players on that team who, for the most part, have admitted they created a system to cheat the game were not suspended. Now, I'm going to take it a, a step further on this as well. I don't agree with the suspension of of Joe Kelly. Um, One, because I do feel that the Astros got off very light in their penalty for cheating. Um, I have been on record as saying I don't know how much cheating really helped them win a World Series. Um, Do I think it assisted in some ways? Absolutely. But to this day, Major League Baseball doesn't have concrete evidence as to when the cheating was used. Was he used every at bat? Was he used every pitch? Was it certain situations? Was it certain pitchers Um, that we don't know? And the reason I highlight that is, and and I've also, again, to give you context, Joe Kelly was on the Boston Red Sox in 2018 when they won the World Series um, with Alex Cora as his manager. He was not on the Dodgers in 2017 when they lost to the Astros in the World Series. And that also plays a part in this bad blood. However, Joe Kelly was on the Red Sox team in 2018, which did eliminate the Astros and win their own World Series. The Red Sox have also been accused of using this same system that the Astros kind of pattern or modernized, I should say, because cheating in baseball isn't anything new. But they were able to use technology in a way that no one else has been able to do. Now, with that being said, Joe Kelly was on a team that used cheating. Again, we don't know to what extent. We don't know if it was used every at-bat, some at-bats, certain pitchers, certain circumstances. But we know it was used. And I do believe that the Astros should have been penalized a little harsher. But in regards to this situation, as I said, I do not agree with Joe Kelly getting an eight-game suspension. Especially when the players on the Astros and the players on the 2018 Red Sox, for that matter, have never been punished for their part in cheating. So we've got to understand that there are going to be players who don't agree with what took place and are going to feel slighted in some way, shape or form and are going to feel that, hey, I may have been cheated out of a chance to win a World Series because of what these guys were doing. And ultimately, you got to let the players settle it on the field. If you're not going to suspend the Houston Astros, any of their players, or the Boston Red Sox, for that matter, of 2018, then you've got to realize and you got to understand that some of the "quote unquote" uh, games justice is going to play out on the field, and it's, it it happens in every sport, right? In football, if a guy lands a dirty hit on a quarterback, let's say. And there's no penalty flag for it well guess what that quarterback's team his defense specifically is going to target somebody on the opposing team to get that hit back on you hit my guy dirty i'm gonna i'm gonna get one of your guys back it's almost an unwritten rule same thing in basketball you file my guy extra hard don't be surprised if one of my guys files your guy extra hard so major league baseball i think is overreacting with this eight game suspension um if they want to say hey you know all right, we'll give you a few game suspension because obviously you did kind of cause a dust up in the game and we don't want to see anybody get hurt. So when you're headhunting and you're targeting guys' head with pitches, we don't want to see that. But eight games I think is a little excessive. I think Major League Baseball will reduce it. I think it's going to get reduced to about five games. That's just my initial thought on it. However, I understand where Joe Kelly's coming from. I understand how the players feel about this situation. And I think ultimately the Houston Astros would agree. I think they came into the season expecting to be hit a couple more times than they normally would. Um, I've also been on record as saying that the Houston Astros may be the biggest benefactor of the quarantine and then the games continuing without any fans in the stands because they don't have to deal with the heckling. They had a chance to kind of hide in the shadows of everything else that was going on in our country as opposed to being the spotlight um, for the upcoming season. And so they kind of got a pass. And so if they've got to get hit on the back or hit on the ass or hit on the wrist a few times, that's what it's gonna to have to be. Cause they gotta understand that there are a lot of players that are still very upset by what they did over the last few years. Make no mistake, the team is still very talented, but you still gotta pay. And this is just gonna to have to happen. Major League Baseball, you gotta do a better job on this, though. I think you you cannot send this message down the pipeline that we're gonna protect the Astros in any way, shape, or form. Uh, from some sort of retaliation, the league and players are upset and it's not just players, There are managers, there are front office types around the league that are upset about this. So you're going to have to let the game kind of police itself this time. Rob Manfred, do the right thing. Reduce the suspension. You want to suspend him for throwing at Correa's head? I get it. But eight games to me is excessive, especially when you consider that Joe Kelly was not thrown out of that game. There were warnings issued to both teams, but Joe Kelly wasn't thrown out of the game. So if the empires on the field didn't feel it was necessary to throw him out of the game, how do you justify an eight-game suspension? Just my thoughts on it. Again, it's Legend in Two Games. This is The Sanchez Show. Make sure you're following me on all social media platforms. Again, Legend in Two Games, L-E-G-E-N-D-I-N-T-W-O-G-A-M-E-S. Shoot me a like, shoot me a comment, and as I always say, I open up the platform for anybody who wants to share it. I have a great sports debate, or if you want to just submit a question, go ahead and submit it. I'll read it off on the show and answer it. Uh, We want to transition over to basketball for the night. This is a rapid reaction uh, to what we saw tonight in the NBA. Keep subscribing to the podcast, though, first and foremost. I got to say that. I appreciate you guys' support. Now, let's get into it. The New Orleans Pelicans kicked off the restart against the Utah Jazz. Let's be honest, we know that the NBA is really hoping that the Pelicans can make a push in these eight games to get that last playoff spot. The NBA would love nothing more than to see LeBron and the Lakers as the number one seed taking on Zion and the Pelicans as the number eight seed. Uh, The storylines are there, obviously, with Zion being the, the next star of the league. You also got Anthony Davis, who would be facing his former team. You've got the young Laker guys who have now developed in New Orleans. Brandon Ingram is a legitimate All Star. He really went off tonight too. Um, Lonzo has kind of found his role. Josh Hart, the league will love that more than more than anything else. And I think for three quarters tonight, the league was smiling from ear to ear because the Pelicans looked really good. They were they looked super athletic. They were flying around the court. They were knocking down a lot of threes. which was a little surprising for them, but they were they were knocking them down. Brandon Ingram was looking like a legit star. Drew Holiday was really doing his thing. And then it kind of fell apart late in the third and going into the fourth. And the veteran Utah Jazz found a way to win that game. Brandon Ingram had a, had a shot ran, rim in and out to end it that would have won the game. But for the Pelicans, it was an example of just a young team that hasn't figured out how to close out games yet. And until they do, you know, I don't know if they are going to be able to get into that last playoff spot. And again, we know the league is angling for them to get it. You know, they started the night three and a half games out of that last spot with the new rule being if you're within four games of a playoff spot, they're going to do a play play playing game or some sort of a playing tournament, depending on how many teams are within that four game range. As John Morant recently said, uh, it's unfair for the Grizzlies. You know, the Grizzlies worked hard this year to get that lead for that eighth spot. And so now, even though they have a a three-and-a-half-game lead, you're basically telling them that within the next eight games, they've got to increase that lead in order to secure a playoff spot that they worked so hard to maintain during the regular season. So we know what the league is positioning for, but we got to see if it would actually work out that way. And I think the Utah Jazz kind of showed their veteran medal today, finding a way to win that game. The Western Conference is very tough. It's very jumbled up. Teams are trying to position for for seeding, understanding that, you want to avoid certain matchups early on in the playoffs. And uh, the Jazz showed us, again, why they've been a, a constant in the playoffs. And the Pelicans showed us why they're a young team trying to develop. And make no mistake, man, um, I think Zion's trying to work himself into a little better shape, too, because they, they were really tight on his minutes today. I don't know if that was just about his shape or if that was more about him being out of the bubble when he was just cleared to play the other day. Um, but nonetheless, he he's going to have to get himself in shape pretty quickly because he's going to have to play more minutes for this team to make that push for a playoff spot. Um, But, of course, the game of the night, the game everybody was waiting to see, Clippers, Lakers, round four. They had played three times during the regular season. The Clippers had won the first two. The Lakers won the last one. Each time they've played has been a close game. We expected it to be another close game tonight. I thought there were a lot of great underlying storylines in tonight's game, one being obviously this was going to be their fourth time playing each other, Um, The next part of that was going to be Paul George being completely healthy. He had not been completely healthy during the um, regular season, obviously before quarantine. Um, We know about Lou Williams having a quarantine and not being able to play these first two games for the Clippers. We knew Montrez Harrell would not be there today. We know Patrick Beverly was just cleared um, to play the other day. We also knew that LeBron had been really keeping himself in great shape for this moment. They added J.R. Smith, Deion Waiters, so it was it was a great test for both these teams to kind of see where they stand. And even though the Clippers weren't at full strength, I'm not giving the Clippers a pass on this. I'm I'm just not. Listen, this is to me these are playoff caliber games. No matter how you want to look at it, these are playoff caliber games. These would be these are the equivalent of those games right towards the end of the season as you're gearing up for the playoffs and you're positioning yourself positioning yourself for the playoffs. All right? Now, the Lakers have a firm grip on the number one seed. Is it possible that LeBron may take a game off here or there or AD may take a game off here or there just to avoid injuries? Absolutely. They've earned that right. They've earned that. They're the best record in the West. They've got a clear advantage over the number two seed, who is still the Clippers even after tonight's loss. And if they decide, hey, You know what? We're going to give AD a night off here. We'll give LeBron a day off there, and we'll kind of manage their minutes just to make sure they're healthy. So be it. They've earned that right. And so that's why I'm not giving the Clippers um, any breaks in tonight's loss, even though they were missing two of their key guys. The Clippers are a deep team, and they showed it, and they hung right there. So with that being said, some of my immediate takeaways from tonight. All right. Lakers win, close game. LeBron was very big down the stretch. Uh, Not only making the game win the shot, but his defense was stellar. Uh, He definitely looked energized. He had fresh legs. And I and I give LeBron a lot of credit because I thought LeBron looked very energized early. Um, He had a lot of spring in his step. He wasn't looking to really get his offense going. But that's not a bad thing, because, again, you're trying to integrate some guys into the rotation that weren't normally there. The Lakers themselves come into the bubble without Rondo and Avery Bradley, and they've got to find a way to fit Deion Waiters in. I thought Deion Waiters was amazing tonight. I really did. I've been critical of the Lakers backcourt all season. I felt that's been their weakest component of their team. I've said all along that for as great as LeBron and ADR, they needed a playmaking guard. Didn't have to be a guy who could be on the court with them but they needed a playmaking guard who can alleviate some of the pressures and some of the ball handling off of LeBron. I think they found it. Now, we, we're probably going to see more JR Smith as these uh, next seven games go on for them. But I thought Deion Waiters, the points he gave him off the bench, um, the energy he gave him off the bench, the shooting he gave him, I thought it was big. I thought it was really big for them. I know Danny Green knocked down some big threes. I know Caruso played some big minutes for them. But I thought Deion Waiters was a big difference maker today. And I've always liked Deion's game, but I also felt that at the end of last year, I wasn't sure if we had seen pretty much the end of his career because the, the knee and the leg injuries really had him out of shape last year with Miami. And I think it put him in a bad place mentally coming into this year. And for those that don't remember, you know, he he claimed he was ready and then he kind of started the season not playing. And then um there was a story of you know him having a panic attack on a on a team flight. Some people say it has something to do with an edible he ate. I, I don't know. I wasn't on a flight. But, you know, he fell out of favor in Miami. And I think he looks good. He was he was in good shape here. He came in right away, played some very solid minutes for them. And I think that's gonna be big. They need a guy like that who can supplement the offense when AD and Braun don't have it going. I also also thought uh, Kyle Kuzma looked really good today. Kyle Kuzma looked very aggressive. He was ready to shoot. Um, I thought he came in and he seemed much more confident in his role now than he did at the start of the season. And I heard Reggie Miller reference an injury that he was dealing with at the start of the season. But I just think he just looked more confident in what his role was with the team. He wasn't standing around as much. He was moving well without the ball. He was being very aggressive in the open court. I like what those two guys brought. And if the Lakers are going to get that type of contribution um, from Kuzma, from Waiters, they're going to be tough to beat because we know AD is going to pretty much win his matchup every night. And we know LeBron's going to win his matchup pretty much every night. And it's going to be up to the supporting cast. Can they get that third and fourth scorer going? That even when LeBron isn't looking for his shot, they can rely on other guys to kind of carry them through some, through some dead spots. I thought they found it tonight, and I think that was the difference. Um, on the flip side of it, and and one more thing in regards to the latest Lakers, too. I thought Frank Vogel got a little risky with his rotation late. He I had made a mental note. It was about 5.15 left in the game. Deion Waiters had just made a couple good plays, and they took Deion Waiters out, but they also took LeBron out. They were up seven at that point, and he gambled and he—, he It was about two minutes of game time. It was a little bit more than that because obviously with with stoppage and play, and I think there was also a timeout called right before then, right before Braun came back in. But Braun comes back in around the three-minute mark. I thought it was a little risky um, because the Clippers started making a run, and ultimately we know the Clippers tied the game up with under a minute to go. But I thought it was risky of him to take them both off the court. I know AD had it going in the third quarter. Um, they were still trying to run the offense through AD. Alex Caruso made made a big defensive play uh, during that span as well. But I, I thought it was a little risky. It was a gamble. It paid off, but it's just something to keep an eye on moving forward because, I, I again, I, I look at these games as, as tune-ups to the playoffs. And so I always find it interesting to see what lineup coaches want to go with in the last five to six minutes of a game. So to have a lineup that Where you take Braun off of the court, but then you don't keep a playmaking guard like Deion Wade is out there. I found it a little intriguing, but they were able to survive ultimately. So no harm, no foul on that. Um, But in regards to the Clippers, I'll say this. I think the Clippers are very deep, very talented. They're going to be a problem. Um, I think PG is fully healthy. We noticed tonight they were running a lot of offense through him he played uh some big minutes as Kawhi struggled with a little bit of foul trouble, trouble early on. They do miss um Lou, of course. I think Reggie uh Reggie Jackson, sorry, Reggie Jackson um was a little shaky tonight. They had a lot of bad turnovers. Reggie was shaky. He's he's a guy who traditionally, yes, he's a point guard, but he's better suited as a scoring point guard and not a guy who facilitates the offense and I think he struggled with that tonight a little bit. Uh I'm interested to see how him and Lou play together off the bench. And I got to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if Doc trusts maybe Lou and Shamit playing a little bit more together as opposed to Lou and Reggie. Because I just thought Reggie was was a little out of control tonight. I, I didn't I wasn't feeling his, his vibe tonight. I wasn't feeling his energy. Um I thought too many times he was a little out of control going to the basket as opposed to trying to get the ball to their marquee guys. And I, and there was a stretch in the third quarter when AD went off to really get the Lakers back in the game that I thought also flipped the switch a little bit because the Clippers had a really strong third coming out of halftime. And then they were sitting both their guys for about two and a half minutes. And Reggie was was the primary guy. And the offense kind of just went cold. And that was Reggie's kind of moment where he could have had two and a half minutes of just like, all right, let me just sustain this lead a little bit. Let me just keep things rolling until these guys get back in the game. And he really struggled and and it allowed the Lakers to get back in the game and get their rhythm going. So keep an eye on Reggie Jackson on on what his minutes might look like once Lou gets back to playing. Um, Another takeaway from the Clippers is I think I don't think Kawhi is in shape. I really don't. Reggie Miller pointed it out how a lot of Kawhi's shots were hitting front rim. His legs looked a little sluggish. I was watching him move up and down the court. Um, there were a couple times, no, and, and not taking anything away from LeBron, because LeBron played great defense on him as well, not just on the last possession, but throughout the game. Whenever they were matched up, LeBron took it personally that he wanted to slow Kawhi down. But I noticed a lot of times that Kawhi was very hesitant with his dribble. And... He continued to try to pump fake and it was everybody. It wasn't just LeBron. It was everybody who defended him. It was almost like he wanted you to bail him out. He needed you to either go for the pump fake so he can get an angle on you or go for the pump fake so he could try to lean on you. You know, he he kept doing it. And it made me wonder, did he have his legs under him? Um, Because we've seen him at his best be able to still get to the basket. And I didn't feel confident in anything he was doing today. I really think he struggled with having his legs under him, under him. It could be a conditioning issue. It could just be the fact that they haven't really played a real game in quite some time, and so maybe you know maybe he was dealing with a little bit of just in-game conditioning. But I don't think he. I don't think he's. Uh, he's in game shape yet. I'm not going to call it a health issue. I'm not going to say he's injured because I don't think he's injured. But I definitely think uh, he doesn't have his legs under him. But we, I I do believe PG is, is right. Paul George looked good. He looked healthy. He was more than confident to take any shot he needed to take. He was more than confident in going to the basket. So I think he looked good tonight. Uh, and one of the key biggest moments of the game that I think Doc Rivers is going to kick himself over. And it wasn't necessarily a terrible decision, but it really cost him. Down 3 one ninety eight. We know Paul George makes the three. The biggest biggest or the most overlooked scenario in all of this is they had Reggie Jackson on the floor to provide spacing if necessary. Now, Paul George shoots it quick, and as Reggie Miller highlights, they're going. he went for a quick two-for-one opportunity because if he misses the three, they can always just play defense and have an opportunity to get the ball again. He makes the three. Lakers don't call a timeout, which was very smart by Frank Vogel to just let LeBron go to work and don't allow the defense to set up. Ultimately, Paul George still plays great defense on LeBron. He forces a bad shot out of LeBron. But if you watch the highlight, Reggie Jackson is late getting over the box out. That's what allows LeBron to get his own rebound and ultimately the the floater right in the lane that ends up being the game-winning shot. If Patrick Beverly's in the game, Patrick Beverly boxes him out. Now, does he box him out and LeBron not get the ball? Who knows? LeBron may still get that rebound, but Reggie Jackson is so late getting back in the picture And if you watch the replay, it's clear as day. He is so late getting back in the picture that LeBron, during the shot, because there's so much contact between him and Paul George, Paul George is completely out of the picture now because he's so out of position. Reggie Jackson never gets into position to box out. LeBron gets an easy putback. Game over. So something to keep an eye on as well. I thought Reggie Jackson was really bad tonight. If you can't tell already, I, I thought he struggled. Um, And that's something that Doc, I'm sure, will go back and revisit and and question if he should have just had Pat Bev out there um, no matter what. But it was a great night of basketball. I think tomorrow it gets even more exciting as we go into the weekend. It's just amazing that we've got NBA basketball back again. Hopefully we can continue to see Major League Baseball because, again, I do think it's on shaky, shaky ground. But until the next episode, again, I appreciate you guys' love and support. Continue to follow me across all social media platforms. It is Legend in Two Games, completely spelled out. Subscribe to the podcast. We out of here. We'll touch base with you guys this weekend. Peace.